Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of 24 Faithful. I'm Bradley Adams, and I'm joined once again by Joel Wood. And we're here to talk about Season 8. Joel, you are continually excited for Season 8, I know. Oh, Bradley, I've been waiting for this for months now. Just just waiting for the opportunity to talk about Season 8 and how lovely of a season it was. Yeah. Yeah. We started it last week. And um, aren't you? No, I'm not excited. I'm, I'm, I'm really not excited. I'm really not excited for this stretch of episodes. Um, we, we weren't particularly positive last week, and I feel like we're probably not going to be too much more positive this week. But, um, but we'll see. I made it my mission. I made it my mission to be more positive. Okay. Well, you're going to have to bring the positivity because I don't have a lot this week. So I'll bring enough for both of us. Okay, good, good. Um, so where we left off last week in terms of the plot was that Renee and Jack have uh, got into an undercover mission into trying to get into bed with Vladimir Leitanen, who uh, has potential connections to the uranium fuel rods that CTU are after. Renee, this is an old cover for her, and Jack is a German arms dealer, buyer, um, who is essentially trying to hijack Farhad's deal for the nuclear rods and get in and, and see to you can come in and, and take them away. Um, so that's where we kind of pick up that we're in this situation. Jack's uh, not really proven his loyalty or, or, or his trustworthiness, I guess, but it's kind of forced his way in. Um, Cole took out a couple of Leitanen's men and Jack, as is his want, um, took one of his key guys hostage but ultimately, Leitanen makes his calls, um, including to Sergei Bazayev, who we know actually does have the nuclear rods, um, but lies, says he doesn't. And it ends up that Renee and Vladimir Leitanen fight. She kills him in an action that results in him being stabbed 15 times, which kind of feels a little excessive. Um, Jack also gets stabbed, but he manages to kill Leitanen's men. Uh Bazaev's men come and kidnap Jack because essentially they all know too much about the rods and, they, and more than they should. Um, and he eventually is tortured, but it manages to escape and takes down Bazaev. Uh, but his son hands over the rods to Farhad. So that's where we are for plot-wise at the start of this episode. And um, I, I continually like the stuff with Renee, I think. Um, particularly as it kind of gets to the point where after she kills Leitanen, which is really brutal, actually. But when it gets to that point afterwards and she kind of agrees that Jack was right from the beginning, that she wasn't ready for this, that she shouldn't have been in it, she couldn't handle it. She has a really nice line that's, um, I just thought that if I did this, I could make it all right. I could have my life back. And that kind of sums up where Renee is at this point. Yeah, but <clears throat> I mean, if you remember correctly, she told Hastings that I put my badge down, Mr. Hastings. What makes you think I would want it back? So what this what this basically says is that she was trying to convince herself of that. Because in reality, when she told Jack that she was hoping that this could give her her life back, completely contradicts what she told Hastings several episodes earlier. So it's it's kind of it kind of represents the 
<clears throat> back and forth that Renee is having with herself, not necessarily with with Jack or with Hastings or anybody else, but mainly with herself. Like she's trying to convince herself whether she wants her life back or whether she needs this. And deep down, I think she knows she does. But at the same time, I don't think she has the confidence level anymore that she can handle having her own life back. And I think that's what that's what she was trying to accomplish with this mission is trying to convince herself that she can handle having her old life back. I really like the self with Renee, not so much the uh, <clears throat> um, family drama, so to speak with the um, what's the head, what's the head mob boss's name? Zayev. Not so keen on that on that plot device because it just feels like twists and turns for the sake of twists and turns. I mean, I I can understand that, you know, maybe uh, maybe his son was a little upset that he basically killed his brother. So maybe this was a uh, this was a way to, I guess, get back at him, revenge, so to speak. But it just didn't work well with me. Um, I, I enjoy Zayev as a villain, but once they caught him and he was trying to make a deal and stuff like that, I just and his son stealing the the truck with the fuel rods, it just didn't. I sort of I sort of lost interest after that. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, um, just to your point, actually, I'll, I'll come on to the stuff with Sergey Zayev in a second, but. For Renee, I don't think it's necessarily about having her old life back because I, I do believe that she's not really interested in the FBI stuff anymore. She's like a lot of the stuff that she does in this season, particularly after this point that we're at now of the I, I thought I could have my life back if I did this thing. The stuff in future is about Jack and, and, and helping Jack. She goes to save him. We'll talk about that next week, but she goes to save his life. And there's a bit of kind of loyalty to her country with President Hassan, um, and, and sort of doing the right thing. But there's never it, it's never it never feels to me like she's striving to get the FBI badge back here. But what happens is that we, we've seen how low she's she's been, how low she is now, and and sort of how little she actually wants to live. And so I guess for me, the way I took it was that her saying she wants her life back is the ability to to live not necessarily working for the FBI but her, the ability that she would go about her daily life and not feel like she has been for the last 18 months i think that's where that that comes from but in terms of Bazayev, david anders who plays uh, joseph the son did I, I read an interview with him from a few years ago and he essentially didn't particularly like it uh, his role on 24 um he didn't feel like there was a whole lot of character development to joseph and I tend to agree with him. I think it it was sort of one of those twists I kind of forgotten, not really forgotten about, but forgotten the specifics of and was just intrigued as to how everything sort of point A to point B happened. And it, yeah, you're right. It is very much rooted in the fact that Sergei killed Oleg, his brother, 
when there was a, a viable treatment option. It was risky in them getting exposed, but they obviously ended up getting exposed anyway through no fault of Joseph going to the doctor. And so what you have is very, very briefly, Joseph deciding that he's going to get back at his father and he's going to take the rods and sell them to Farhad, cut him, cut his father out of the deal and and just, just punish him for what he did. The thing that I don't massively love about it is that it's so brief that the, it, it would have worked, I think, a little bit better had he kind of actually twisted and, and gone to the other side. But it was, they discovered his betrayal at the end of an episode and five minutes into the next episode, he was dead because they'd got in contact with him and he was going to go along with Jack Steele and things were fine again. And and that was the bit for me that was a bit, well, what's the point? You know, there, there doesn't feel like there was too much to it for the, for the length of time that it took. Well, I agree with what uh, the actor said about his role. Much of, I'll say about 95% of Joseph's characters, so to speak, was tied to his brother Oli. And I think that that was kind of, once, once, once Oli was dead, it's kind of like, well, where do we go from here? Oh, well, let's just, let's just have Joseph steal the fuel rods. That'll work. And I think that once... Once his brother died, I think there was kind of less of a use for him. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that five minutes into, you know, the episode after he turns on his father, he's dead. And I think that just highlights the fact that he didn't really have a plan to begin with. He was just kind of thinking on the fly. and. That's one of those shock values that 24 has been known for to just turn somebody just for the sake of turning them, just for a shock value. Even though as soon as uh, Zayev killed his brother, you could kind of forecast that he was going to eventually turn on. I mean, you could kind of see it coming. Yeah, you could. And and you're right that it does feel like one of those twists for the sake of being a twist. And oh, we will come on to that later in the episode. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. One final thing, actually, before we do, uh, I do really like Jürgen Procknell, who plays Sergei. Um, I think I think his rapport with Jack is really nice. But um, essentially what we get from the, the, the Joseph sale of the rods to Farhad is that uh, Farhad is working with Samir Mehran, who we met, I think, in the episode before, very briefly. And he's the general. He, I think we talked about him a little bit last week, actually, that he is. He, he feels like he's in control, even though I think the dynamic is meant to be that he's one of Farhad's soldiers. He's working for Farhad. But very quickly, that turns on its head, and Farhad decides that once Samir says they're not going to take the rods back to the IRK because there's too much heat, there's too much noise around it, and they can't do it, they're going to instead detonate a dirty bomb in New York. Farhad doesn't approve of this and decides that he's going to call CTU and does so. Um, he's injured. He has to hide from his former colleagues. And then there comes a point where CTU are about to save him 
and he decides to get up and get shot as a result. And I think this is possibly, well, no, not possibly. This is definitely the dumbest 24 scene in a while. It's just a case of me trying to work out when the previous dumbest was for this to then take the crown because it's just horrific. It really is horrific. I mean, all he had, all he had to do was wait, what, 30 more seconds? I don't understand it. I don't understand why they had him just get up and leave. I can't think of another scene in 24 that compares to it, to be honest with you, um, because this was just so boneheaded that it just, it deserves its own category. It just, it completely illustrates the entire character arc, really, of of Farad. Because he portrays himself as a complete idiot the entire time. And I think that that, I think it illustrates more of the overall story arc of Farad than anything else. Because it was just, it was completely, it was completely boneheaded. Like even by 24 standards, who has some pretty boneheaded scenes. Yeah, I, I just, I really hate it. I really hate Farhad's arc. We talked about this last week, but it just, it feels like when <laughs> when there when there seemed to be no particular low that it could further go, somehow this manages to achieve it. That Farhad, having been such an incompetent villain, just so lacking in any sort of authority, any sort of competent plan, any sort of um, I get I guess conviction. I don't really ever believe that he's this mastermind that he's meant to be i don't really put a whole lot of faith into his antagonistic state i guess but this is an ending i mean really it's just it's really really bad but fortunately the storyline is elevated by the fact that jack uh makes the most out of it and his plan to use farhad's body as dead bait and lure in the terrorists to finish farhad's finish the job on farhad I think that works. That works really well. Um, so there is positives to come out of it, and and key to that, I think, is uh, Rami Malek, who plays Marcos, who they dispatch to kill Fahad. I think he is he is absolutely wonderful, and I really really love this storyline. I mean, we we give season eight a lot of flack, but there are some real, I guess you could say, positives. Going back to what you said about Farad is, I mean, can you think of a villain? Not just not just main villain. I mean, villain specifically that was weaker than Farhad. No, there isn't one. There just there isn't a vi- there. There just is not a villain weaker than Farhad. Um, I'm trying to think, have there been any particular ones that I dislike? I don't think they have really. Uh, Philip Bauer. We don't. We all know I'm not keen on Philip Bauer, but before that, I, I, no. I mean the guy, the the guy, the guy that was the I forget his name that was the middleman for the for the bomb in season six. That his story arc just ended before it could even really get started. Um, he was pretty weak, but far eyed. It's just, 
I just don't understand what his purpose was. Um, him as a villain, I wouldn't mind. It's like I said last week. As a villain, I wouldn't mind him as long as he wasn't the main villain. Having him, having him at like, you know, he's running this crime syndicate just completely threw me off. Um, it doesn't fit well with his character and it doesn't really it doesn't really mesh well into the overall story because of the fact that you can't look at Farad and think that he's this mastermind, that he's this leader, that he's the one that he's the one that's going to rebuild the IRK. When you look at Farad, you don't get that impression. And that's and that's the the disconnect for me is that if you're gonna have somebody pull this off, then you need to have somebody that is believable. And Farad is the furthest thing from believable. I would have rather them have had President Hassan himself <laughs> turn than have Farad do it. Because I just it just doesn't fit with me. And it just it irritates me just thinking about it, Bradley. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I think, I think it's the fact that it, you're right. You don't feel like he's a leader at all. Um, I don't feel it, that that point about him taking over the IRK. I suppose is the outcome in that he wants to replace his brother as head of state and guide them through a new, I don't know, a, a new path in life. I guess. But you never believe it. I, I could never see him as the president of the IRK. I could never see him as leading anything. Um, Samir, we'll come on to Samir in a bit, but I, you know, I, I feel like he's lacking in personality a lot, but ultimately he feels like he would be a much better fit in that role. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm quite glad that they got rid of Farhad when they did because he just didn't need to exist beyond the plot to kill Omar. But um, yeah, his, his death scene was pretty grim. But let's circle on to the the Marcos stuff because this is actually this is actually really good, and I mean Rami Malek has has broken through and and is very much a um, a leading name at the moment now uh, after Mr. Robot and Bohemian Rhapsody and all the other things that he's been in. I think he's in the James Bond film that's coming up as well, isn't he? So he is has sort of shot upwards, but you can see here why because he is just he's so 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 good. Um, particularly in the in the discussions with Jack in the oxygen chamber when they're debating politics and morals, that's that's a really wonderful scene and kind of does what it does what season six really wanted to do over the course of its twenty four episodes and failed at basically every attempt. That manages to succeed here with Jack and Marcos and the the scene between Marcos and his mother, Mayor Winningham, as as Elaine Alzacar. Those two together, it's it's so superb and it's so gripping to watch, and it's one of it's one of the few thing one of the few scenes I think during this season where it, it comes close to that concept of for me of actually you know this could go a different way than I know it does because the, the emotion behind that conversation of him being convinced out of exploding the bomb being convinced out of working with the terrorists by his mother 
there's a real, real heart to it. And it just feels like every time it's, he's going to get him he's, he's going to lure him out and then it doesn't and it's really bad but it is just it's such a joy to watch that I did enjoy him and Mr. Robot from the moment he arrived at the hospital and you know he was trying to kill Farad who he didn't know was already dead um, from that moment on he just killed every scene that he was in from when he, when he shot Farad. And then I think the realization came over him that he was already dead. And then Jack and the CTU agents barged in the room and, you know, he just randomly jumps out the window. <laughs> so it, from that to when he's in the chamber and he's trying to reconfigure the bomb is, is, the acting is so good because it's believable. When he talks to when he talks to Jack, and especially his mother, it's believable. Like you can you can hear his words and think that he believes what he's saying, and that's that's the mark of a great actor. It's somebody that convinces you that they feel the way that their character feels. And I think that was one of the, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in season eight. Because uh, I don't have a lot of favorite scenes in season eight. But it's definitely one of my favorite scenes in season eight because of the way that he said his lines, the dialogue between him and Jack. And you know, once Jack got the information, pushing him back into the chamber right before the bomb exploded, it was just, it was, it was so good. And I enjoyed every minute of it, even to the, even to the point where I was hoping that he was going to make it, even though I knew even watching it for the first time, I, I knew that he was probably going to die. I think the thing, I don't want to go too Jack about it. But the thing about it for me, for, for Rami, is that you got to look into his eyes. And, it, it, I mean, Jack says it to him about himself. But it is it is very much the way to look at Rami Malek. I think that he is just... You, you can see everything in his eyes. That he, he just... At times, it almost feels soulless. That he just seems empty. But it's not. It, it just... He's so in-depth in the character. And... This is one of the few, it's one of the few cameo performances that feels like more than a performance. I don't want to, I don't want to keep coming back to James Cromwell as Philip Bauer, but the, the, just the, the casual lacking of, I don't know, any sort of um, conviction to his performance, to that storyline, to just everything about it versus this, that, He's a very minor character. He's in three episodes, and okay, he gives this big reveal, but he's he's an, he's a very minor character in the larger story. But to come in and deliver a performance of, of this magnitude, I think is is just outstanding and and should be very much applauded. Um, I think this also features the best Jack scene, or certainly his best intimidation scene when he threatens um, Marcus's mother. Do we agree? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> It was definitely one of the more uh, uncomfortable scenes 
as a as a viewer. But it's definitely I still put the scene where Jack was taking Stephen Saunders' daughter inside the hotel to basically send her to die if he didn't tell if he didn't tell him you know what he needed to know. I still put that at pretty much at the very top as far as intimidation scenes. But this one's probably right up there um, because it was just, it was uncomfortable to watch as a viewer, but at the same time, it was great to watch because it was pretty much Jack at his best. You know what I'm saying? It was Jack doing what needed to be done to stop the bomb. And at the end of the day, Jack proved that he will do whatever it takes, whether innocent or otherwise, to accomplish his mission. Yeah, in my notes, I just wrote down peak Jack. And that kind of sums it up for me that this is just, this is, this is Jack in a nutshell, that he, he will, like you say, do anything to achieve his mission. And he have, if he has to threaten an innocent woman um, with radiation poisoning, then he'll do that. So that's that's that. Now, we're going to move on to the next section. Um, Joel, I'm going to ask you two questions in a second, but just a bit of context as we move into this. Uh, so this is, we're going to talk about Taryn being involved with the terrorists. Um, and essentially, President Hassan had arrested Taryn for uh, cons- potentially conspiring with his, uh, his opposition and his enemies uh, based on the fact that Taryn wouldn't arrest the uh, ministers, Minister Jamot's family, because there was no evidence connecting him really to being involved. But anyway, Hassan decided that, that was enough to arrest Tarin. Tarin, of course, escapes uh, custody. Eventually, he's also involved with Kyla Hassan, his daughter, uh, Hassan's daughter. And we think everything's really good. And then Marcos gives his revelation as he's about to die that Tarin is actually working with the terrorists. So my two questions for you, Joel, uh, the first one is why should we be shocked at this revelation? And the second question is why should we care about it at all? And I would love to know an answer for either of these. Well, the answer to your first question is uh, we should not be shocked because I mean, before, before Farhad was revealed as the quote unquote uh, mastermind, or the initial turn on President Hassan, I thought it was Taryn. I thought Taryn was going to be the quote-unquote big reveal before Farhad. So in that respect, I don't think we should be shocked. As far as your second question goes, I don't think we should care. I like the reveal at the end when it was revealed that he faked his death. Um, He's really alive. And he's setting, you know, setting them up with an EMP bomb. That part I enjoyed. But I would have enjoyed it more had we been given a reason to care about Terran before that happened. I mean, he was in very minimal scenes. I mean, other than just standing by and looking menacing. So he was in very minimal scenes. And the scenes that he was in before he escaped custody just involved one or two lines. And I just felt like if we would have been given, if we would have been given more of a reason to care about Taryn, 
I think the reveal would have gone over better. But the fact of the matter is we weren't uh, because nobody cared about Terra. <laughs> That's the problem. You answered my two questions exactly as I'd hoped you would answer my two questions. So that's that's ideal. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you on the reveal at the end of the next episode with with Kyler and CTU and the EMP because I think that's just awful. Um, there's just there's so much theatre to it. The whole thing. It's just that Taryn has to fake his argument with Samir in sight of Kyler but he also seems genuinely concerned. And then they're outside the vault door and Kyler's making a load of noise and Samir has to pretend that he's not actually knowing what's going on, even though he's clearly knowing what's going on. But I don't know why he has to pretend that he's oblivious because surely everyone knows this plan. And then, then there's the running away and then there's the shootout and then there's the him getting shot and then Kyler taking ages to then call CTU once she escapes. It's all just a bit, it's a bit naff to me. I, I don't, I don't like it. And I, I think when you think about it as well, this, I mean, this was clearly the plan the whole time, right? Because they asked for file thirty-three that contains all of the information to uh, turn off all these things that they need turned off. But they know that they're they're never in doubt that Hassan will not give that to them. That that CTU and the Americans will not let them have that information. So presumably this was the plan the whole time that it was going to be, uh, you know, they've developed an EMP. They've acquired it from somewhere. They've loaded it into this car. There's a lot of planning that's gone into this. And for that to to be the whole plan for all these long-winded specific things to happen for this, for this to happen, to to be pulled off. I just, I I don't get into it. I, I don't buy it. I don't like it. Um, so that's where I stand on that. It seems that you feel kind of strongly about that, Bradley. I get where you're coming from. I mean, we see CTU compromise, like, I don't know, once a season now. At some point, it's kind of like, what else can they do to CTU? I mean, sometimes I think they just have CTU there just so it can get blown up. So I didn't massively love it, but I didn't hate it. I didn't particularly like the family dynamic. I told you I didn't like the family dynamic of the signs and the cheating and, you know, the family, the unnecessary family drama that I felt like wasn't needed. Um, I didn't particularly like that very well. Um, and the, the Terran reveal seemed kind of forced. Like when he, when he so easily got gunned down, like it kind of made you feel like, that's it. And then once he was revealed to actually be alive, then you kind of started to understand that maybe, just maybe, uh, this was part of some big master plan. But then, you know, Taryn is, he's just like Farad. He doesn't have a long enough arc as a villain because he he's revealed as turning his back on them in one episode. And I think if it's not the next episode, the episode after that, he's caught. So it's, it's just, it feels like a lot of stuff in season eight was rushed for the sake of being rushed. I mean, they had 24 episodes. 
I mean, they could, I mean, they went from, they went through like three or four villains in the span of eight episodes. So it's, it just felt like they was rushing it for the sake of rushing it. And I felt like it wasn't really needed because they could have stretched these villains out for another couple of episodes, but they went through like four of them in like eight episodes. Yeah, Taryn definitely falls into the category of the reveal happens because they needed something to surprise the audience. Because they reveal this, the, the initial reveal of him being part of Samir's group doesn't land for me either because there's too much tension to the bomb. Like, there's there's too much drama and tension to potentially kill, you know, it's not going to kill Jack, this, this bomb that Marcus is wearing. But it's about whether he can disarm it, whether Marcus is going to die as a result, whether they can get anything out of him quickly enough. And so when it is revealed that Taron's involved, and also the fact that it then goes to a, to an ad break afterwards and it's five minutes within the show before they manage to call Hassan and tell him, kind of feels like the most pressing thing, but never mind. Um, but but there's so much other drama around that scene where Taron originally outed that it just kind of falls flat for me. Um, but very much once you get into the realms of he's a double agent that's betrayed the people that he's double agenting for, but then actually no, he's, he's, he's still really working with them. It just too long winded. It's too complex. There's too many things happening. It's just, it doesn't work for me. It, it doesn't work. Um, it, there, there's too much, there are too many loose ends that have to be tied together all at once for the whole plot to work within the, within the story. Like I say, the the fact that this was the plan all along to kidnap Kyla and to fake her escape, to fake Taryn's death. Also, the fact that the EMP goes off on a timer. So, like, what if that had gone off, you know, just on the Brooklyn Bridge or whatever, miles away from CTU? You know, there, there's no there's no scope here for um for, for it to go wrong and obviously it doesn't go wrong for the terrorists but it just feels like a real leap at every stage for me to believe that this thing keeps happening and it happens in accordance with how they want it to happen so i, I i'm not a fan um i'm not a fan either um i mean if you think about it like i've never designed an EMP before but I would imagine that if an EMP goes off, there's a certain radius of things of, of electronics that goes down. Um, so I don't know if that may be the explanation for it. But I felt like the explosion itself kind of set me back because it doesn't really, you never feel like they're in danger. Like you never, like even, even as she's pulling up to CTU, you never feel like they're in any serious danger. And I think that is in large part what is missing from the season eight of 24 is that you never get a real sense that anybody is in danger. I mean, with the exception of Renee, of course but you never get the sense that anybody else is really in danger. And I think that is, uh, I think that is one of the things that's 
that is missing the most from from season eight. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Well, there is one person who's in danger, or two people, I should say, that are in danger, and that's uh, Kevin Wade and Nick, his buddy, because they decide that in stealing things, the money from the lockup, that Nick is going to steal as much as he can and then assault a cop. And then Kevin decides that they're not going to leave uh, Dana's life. And it leads to Cole finding out the whole truth about everything and Dana going there to kill them. And Nick instead uh, stabbing and ultimately killing Kevin first. But Kevin manages to warn Cole and Dana before Nick can kill them. And it's a whole mess. And they both end up dead. And Cole and Dana have to cover up a double murder. Um I don't know where to begin with this because it's just so bad. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the Kevin storyline um, because of the fact that it just doesn't. I mean, why did we need it? I mean, did we need it because we wanted to let everybody know that Dana was not a very good person? Did we need it? Because, you know, we wanted an extra storyline on the show. Um, and that's <laughs> and that's one thing I've told you about, you know, on a lot of these podcasts that I hate, absolutely hate when they put storylines in there that just completely for the sake of the storyline, just to give somebody something to do. Putting a storyline in the show that is completely 360 degrees separate from the main storyline of the show just to give somebody something to do. And I felt that that was the situation. And that's one thing that I continuously had a problem with throughout 24 because it just, I mean, I I understand, you know, Kevin having this, this heart, this compassion at the end, but at the same time, it's just like, why even have that storyline in the first place? I mean, what what did it really accomplish other than letting us know that Dana was not a very good person and that her and Cole have problems? That's really the only thing that it really accomplished. And we didn't need that storyline to accomplish those two things. No. No, we don't. I don't think. Um, what does it accomplish? It accomplishes that I hate Dana. I guess that would be my that would be my main takeaway from it. I just, you know, there's there's nothing to like about her. There just there's just nothing. And what happens from this storyline? Okay, we set up for the big reveal that we're going to talk about next week with Dana. Great, but it kind of hinders that even further. You know, the fact that, uh, well, we'll talk about that next week. But yeah, this is this is a really bad storyline. And then they make it worse because you have Kevin's parole officer who, I mean, Stephen Root, I like. I think Stephen Root's generally really good. And I think he's, he's nice in this. I, he's perfectly fine as an actor. And quite frankly, the character, you know, the character does his job. Actually, Bill Prady is quite a good parole officer and quite a good investigator that he manages to locate Dana that he knows something that there's more to it than she's letting on. And as we'll, we'll see next week um, that he knows 
she's lying and that she, that she was actually she has more to do with it than she's saying or that she'll definitely admit and so from that aspect it's like he's he his existence as a character in this world is fine but his existence as a character in this storyline is just we were rid of it it was it's one of those things where you're so relieved that kevin's gone and suddenly we don't have to deal with this storyline anymore and five minutes later his parole officer comes looking and dana then has to deal with this again and like you say it's so separate from everything else the fact that dana calls him he wants the he wants the surveillance tapes from the lockup that are gonna give him the evidence as to who was involved or whatever and she decides and this is probably the one positive thing to it that she decides she's going to give it to him and essentially this is it for her and there's a fairly okay conversation between her and cole about how she's going to do this and this is it and she loves him and cole's like why don't you wait we'll do it we'll talk about it when we get when i get back and it's perfectly fine but it is very much what you said that it feels completely disconnected from everything jack has to sort of nudge cole to get him back in the game and make sure that his head screwed on right because they're in the midst of a massive situation. And it's just, it's so detached. It's so detached and it's so pointless that I, I just, there are very few positive words I can say about it. I mean, we already understand that Dana is not a very good person. We understood that based on the entire Kevin Wade storyline. So I felt like, I don't understand why we needed the probation officer in the first place. Like what, just to stretch the storyline out for a couple of more episodes. Um, just to have her, you know, kill somebody before she's revealed as the mat, as the latest turncoat. I mean, I just, I felt like this was pointless, even more pointless than the, than the Kevin Wade storyline, because the storyline was done. Like, why do we need, the probation officer in the first place unless the purpose was to actually lock her up which we will we both know is not based on the next couple of episodes we both know is not the end game so it just it doesn't feel like it's needed it just feels like an excuse to continue this storyline and just kind of further drive her down the path of darkness until she's finally revealed as as working with the terrorist, and I just felt like it just wasn't necessary. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that, and yeah, I, I I'd have quite happily seen something else for three hours, um, or three out three of her at three episodes worth of her storyline here with Bill Prady because when it when it comes to the reveal that we'll talk about at great length, I imagine next week, um, there's 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 nothing this could add. So, yeah. I'm not a fan at all, uh, but that's it for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, next week, we will be back to talk about the next six episodes. That's 13 through 18, which takes us from 4 a.m. up until 10 a.m. Um, fairly significant events happen next week, and some of them we might even like. So that would be that would be a nice change of pace. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, give us any thoughts on anything we've talked about already or anything that we're going to talk about in future, um, then you can get in touch with us via Twitter at the 24 podcast. You can go to 24faithful.com or you can leave us a voicemail, which is uh, 405-771-0567 is the number for that. 
Um, but I say we'll be back next week. Uh, hope you'll join us again then. And until then, goodbye.